You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And this week's show, uh, we have another one of our pros playing overseas. It's none other than Ben Lawson. Uh, he's currently plying his trade in Japan, and that is where he spent pretty much most of the last three seasons uh, since he turned pro in 2017, 2018. Uh, yeah, that's, that is right. Uh, he did his first year in Cyprus, uh, and since then has kind of carved out a nice career for himself uh, in Asia, in Japan and um yeah, unfortunately, you know the, the way it is with with, the, with a lot of our top talent is when they when they leave the country. I was saying this to Ben just before we start recording that they leave the country, go to the states, and it's very rare that we see them again um, for a long time, anyway. And I haven't actually seen him uh, in the UK or, or seen him play since before he went to to Western Kentucky, um, which is a Division One school that he attended. So it's really good to kind of get in this, get get him on the show and kind of talk about his journey, his story so far. Uh, of course, he's still very young in his career, but I still think there's a, there's a lot of lessons in there, um, especially for younger players. Kind of hearing he was very open and candid about you know the fact that he didn't put up mind blowing numbers at college. You know he he signed in in Cyprus and not on a, on a massive deal in his rookie year, giving himself one year to kind of make it work. Got the numbers that he thought that he would need to kind of move up, and, and unfortunately didn't get any offers or, or the offers that he thought he was going to get uh, until a little situation in LA, which we'll hear him go into in, in the story, and, and sort of ended up with getting some solid offers in Japan. That's where he first made that sort of transition. But yeah, it was a really good story, and, and like I said, there's a lot of lessons and takeaways. In there, uh, which I think can be valuable for sort of some of the younger hoopers that, that, that might listen to the show. As always, uh, before we do get into the show, uh, please take two seconds to check out our Patreon account, uh, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix, p-a-t-i-e-o-n.com forward slash h-o-o-p-s-f-i-x. There you can help to give us a monthly or annual contribution, or as much or as little as you'd like. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot of money, uh, but I can assure you that that goes a long way in helping us do the work that we're doing, uh, trying to grow this uh, British basketball media landscape for the price of a cup of coffee, for the price of a uh, sandwich. You know, you won't even notice the money leaving your account, uh, but we will notice it. It helps fund um, the work that we're doing. If you get any value from the podcast, if you get any value from uh, the top 10 plays of a week, uh, from the, the power rankings, from, from the content that goes on the website, from the content that we put on social media, please consider giving us uh, a monthly or annual contribution to help us do the work uh, that we're doing. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment below. Uh, let me know what you think about what Ben had to say. Uh, you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at HoopsFix. And of course, if you want some one-on-one interaction, uh, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com. I'll reply to every single one. Anyway, uh, that is enough from me. Here is this week's show with Ben Lawson. Ben, welcome to the show. Pleasure to, pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. It's uh, been a long time coming. Obviously, you are coming at me from Japan. Uh, I know it's, it's quite late there, so I'm, I'll be mindful of your time and I uh, hope that you can, you can stay awake. Um, but I guess that's just, a, just a, an easy place to start. Like, what's the situation uh, in Japan at the moment? Like, I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that when we're talking about sort of the impact of COVID and everything else, I feel like... The leagues there have been pretty well protected uh, compared to many other places, obviously, particularly in Europe. Um, but yeah, like, kind of, how's it been, and what's the sort of situation? Yeah, in, in terms of COVID uh, as a country uh, as a whole, you know, it's it's doing pretty well. Um, I would say before COVID, you know, the the Asian culture is just, you know, you they wear a mask, but they wear it because they feel sick, so they're not trying to spread it to other people. Whereas I feel like more of the Western culture is now we're wearing the mask to protect ourselves. So it's like maybe a whole mind, mind shift change, you know, where it's, um, 
I guess it's just a cultural difference. And, you know, I think that's helped a lot with Japan. You know, obviously they've closed their borders off completely for quite a while now. They had a little scare in around Christmas time where I'm sure pretty much every country had that. Um, and they got to about 8,000 people, but it's back down to almost less than a thousand now a day. So, um, and that's cases, not deaths. Yeah. So it's doing, it's doing really, they're doing really well. The only thing is they don't have the vaccine going on right now. They're, they're a little behind on that. So, you know, with, with the supposed Olympics coming up, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of, uh, actions, you know, are put in place for all of that. In terms of the league, um, we get tested twice, uh, once every two weeks. Um, you know, some teams have caught it, but they've handled it really well with, you know, postponing games and trying to make it up. Um, you know, we're hoping to have a playoffs, but if any teams are too far behind, we might just do more of like a, a football situation where, you know, the team at the top of the league, you know, just gets promoted at the end of it. Um, but yeah, so far we're doing well. We've got a couple more months of regular season, but you know, knock on wood, we're doing pretty well. In terms of fans being allowed in the arenas and stuff, are you, are you playing with fans full capacity? Like, are you playing with no fans? What's, what's the situation? Uh, right now, it's at fifty percent. Um, by fifty percent, they mean that you know you have a family and then one seat space and then another. So, if you buy a ticket for yourself, there would be a one person space. Okay. But if you get families with five or six people, you know it starts to look like a decent sized crowd. You know. Was was part of your decision um, to go back to Japan this season? Did COVID impact that at all? Like, was it part of the fact that you kind of well, obviously at the start of at the start of this season, you would have known that uh, basketball in in Europe and and kind of over here is, is in the West is is pretty drastically impacted. Um, did that factor into your decision on making um, making a decision on where to sign? Uh, most definitely, you know, there's, like you said, there's there's a multitude of things that go go into your decision. Um, obviously. The comfortability of being here before um i got injured around around december so I, I left for america and was in america in january when you know it, it all started popping off um so i kind of got stuck in america for a long time this was in 20 and, uh, this the start of 2020 2020 yeah yeah sorry it's been so long now hasn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah that was 2020 and then leading into the summer that's when i was trying to make my decision for this year and I thought it was just best to go back to, you know, somewhere I know, obviously, Asia and Japan, they handle the handling of the, the virus very well. And even back then, it was clear that they were handling it pretty well. So in terms of my safety and, you know, trying to actually get a, a full season of playing and security in that sense, I thought it was quite a good move to come back. Yeah. Are you in touch with a lot of the other British guys that are playing, uh, you know, professionally overseas and stuff? And, you know, have you had conversations with them about kind of them talking about the situation where they are and, you know, them potentially saying you're lucky where you are, that you're kind of, you've got a you, you relatively sort of normal situation compared to, to compared to everywhere else? Yeah, I, I briefly speak to a, a number of guys, um, you know, class of... Uh, 95 you know the golden generation whatever they want to title it yeah, yeah. I, I spoke with luke and mo and uh actually spoke with byron mullins because he he played out here my first year in japan so we and then he obviously is is looking to play for gb and stuff so you know all of that being on his radar he, he we've had a quite good few conversations recently and he he went to england to play and you know now i'm in japan so it was kind of cool to see the differences and he was saying that yeah 
I've heard from a number of people that England is is uh, struggling. So I get I guess I'm quite blessed in that sense. You you mentioned it there, like obviously GB senior senior program. Um, you know you you were announced on the on the most recent uh, recent squad list uh, before this sort of upcoming window. I think kind of because people knew that you were in season. I think everyone knew it was going to be likely to be a long shot of of you being able to play. Um, but how far away, how far off do you think we are from potentially seeing you, uh, you know, suit up with the GB seniors? Like, is that something that is very much on your radar, on your bucket list of something that you want to do? Like, kind of, yeah, I'd just be interested in hearing your sort of thoughts around it and your communication with the program. 100%. Um, it's definitely on my radar. Um, I have great communication with the guys, uh, Jamie especially. And um, That's Jamie Smith. Yeah, we've been talking for a couple of years now. Yeah, Jamie Smith. And we've been talking for a couple of years and... Uh, Unfortunately, when you're on a Japanese team, it makes it makes it a little tougher to, you know, get that green light to leave to go and play internationally. Um, and then obviously, like you said, I, I did get announced. But with COVID, J Japan closing their borders, even if you do have a residency card, you know, it, it can be a struggle to get back in for people. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't make it work this time. It was great to see the results. I was tuned in at three o'clock in the morning watching them. Don't tell my team, but... <laughs> I was having a great time watching the lads really going out there and competing with the top 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 tier teams. Obviously, them, you know, do you feel like as long as the windows stay as uh, well as long as the qualification windows stay as they are, the likelihood is that uh, you know for you to actually have to get you into camp, it's gonna most likely be around uh, a major championship like Eurobasket 22-2, which they've obviously qualified for now. Like, do you think it's gonna be sort of? Do you think your involvement with the program is gonna be limited? Providing that you continue to, to play in Japan is going to be limited to being around uh, the summer months as opposed to uh, sort of the in-season November, uh, February windows. I mean, it'll be a lot easier definitely to to be there in the summer. Um, but uh, I think it's more about COVID right now. I, I really do think that uh, I'm, I'm looking to pursue it. And uh, if, you know, my situation stabilizes with teams over here, the more that I'm known here it, the easier it is to kind of ask a team beforehand when you, you're signing contracts to be like i do need this two yeah. or three weeks here and there to go and play for my national team um japanese culture they find it very honorable to go and play for, for your nation and being proud of that so um knowing ahead of time and scheduling and if we can all get everything aligned uh then i, I can i can definitely see it happening excellent so let's yeah. let's uh, rewind it back. Um, let's go to the right. start, like uh, the early days, the early years. You know, before yeah. you before you started playing basketball, uh, rugby was the was a thing. I think you're actually a multi sports person, but rugby being the main thing. But I would love to kind of hear your, I guess, early start within sport and how you ended up getting steered uh, towards the game of basketball. Yeah, honestly, it, it started from like elementary school. I just, you know. Uh, every time we got out for, for our breaks, I was doing whatever the boys were doing. It, it was usually football, but, um, you know, whatever we could get our hands on, we were doing it. Um, and then that kind of led my mom to put, throw me into like every sport known to man. You know, I went from gymnastics to tennis to, you know, football on the weekends with rugby the same day. You know, I was just trying to get my hands on anything I could at that time. And, uh, uh, rugby kind of stuck with me for about 10 years. And I was I was playing fly half, so I usually tell this story to Americans and they don't know the position. But it's quite quite refreshing to to, to tell people and they'll actually know the position. But obviously they're a little 
uh, smaller and quicker in that position traditionally. So I got to about six six, and uh, they told me to get in with the forwards and you know turn my ears inside out. And I said, Nah, I'm, I'm all right. I, so I've been playing basketball for maybe six months when I was about fifteen, sixteen. Uh, but seriously, it was like just for my my secondary school. It wasn't anything serious. Um, and just uh, went for it. I just decided it was time for a change. I don't really know. can't remember what sparked it. Obviously, the conversation of moving position was something. But, um, yeah, I, I, something in my gut just told me basketball was going to be the move. And uh, started out at a really low level with uh, the Essex Leopards. Um, if people still, still uh, remember them because <laughs> they've moved on now. But... Um, then uh, decided that I was going to move. I, instead of going to sixth form with my secondary school, I decided that I was going to go to Oakland's. And I did actually look at the rugby program and the, the basketball program and ended up going along with the basketball program once speaking to, to Lee Ryan and uh, Michael Ball of the program there. And uh, I don't know, everything just kind of fell into place, you know? They, they, well, how serious were you about like basketball at this point? Like, was it you know like obviously like you just said you were still considering rugby as, as well, potentially doing both at, at the college. Like, in your head, was it kind of like you know I'm, I'm getting my education and I, and I like sport and I, and I like basketball and I, and I like still still rugby a little bit and I'm going to carry on doing it on the side. Like, or had it started becoming in your mind a thing of like maybe I'm going to pursue this quite seriously? Um. I think when I when I first went there, I think it was just the love of sports, honestly. And then I think the passion of Michael Ball and Lee, um, the two of them just uh, sparked something inside of me. I've always been a competitor and wanted to be the best at what I'm doing. And I think their passion and their vision for me, you know, traveling across the water to America to go and play in college and then telling me my potential, uh, it kind of started dawning on me and you know, once they saw a few results, I think the blessing of playing a multitude of sports is, you know, you can have a bit more coordination than, you know, someone starting up fresh, potentially. So I had a bit more footwork and I could, you know, pick up things a little quicker. So they started to throw me into more individuals and, you know, we really started uh, attacking it. And that, that, that's when it really started to become serious for me. I mean, I assume like your height must have played some of a role as well in the sense of realizing what an asset it, asset it is to basketball in comparison to other sports. Like when you yeah. talk about sort of your growth, so you were what like six six at fourteen fifteen. Like, kind of, what was your progression from there? Because now, like, you're officially listed at seven one, right? Yeah, listed at seven one, probably more like seven seven foot with, uh, and then you add the shoes, you know. Whatever. Yeah. But- <laughs> So what was the progression of your height and sort of and realizing, of course, that obviously your height was a huge asset within within the game? Yeah, probably around 15. Uh, I was 6'6 six, six ish and, you know, I was a center for whoever I was playing at. And uh, um, I, just, like, I genuinely I just didn't know much about the sport at all. And uh, it was once I got to Oakland's that I kind of started to realize where I was at. And that's when I was starting to hit 6'7, six, 6'8 still the tallest guy but i'm you know i'm watching nba.com highlights back back in the day and um i'm i'm, I'm trying to, i'm starting to see blake griffin he's 610 so maybe i'll get to his height and you know this kind of stuff and i think by the time i left college i was probably 611 uh 
but yeah, by the time I left Oakland, I was six eleven. So you know, I was just gradually hitting those numbers and thinking, blimey, I'm you know, I actually sound like an NBA height now, and like things like this started to go through my mind. So, so I'd become more of a realistic uh, idea, you know. Were there um, were there difficult moments of, of of I guess like you know one of the things we always see with big men is that is that just trying to sort of understand their body and get in, get coordinated you know get their hands better like all that were there were there difficult moments kind of in that development that early development phase of like really trying to get to grips with just how big you were your movements your fluids or do you think you already had that solid base from all the other sports that you've been playing? I think. I think normally for big men, it's their footwork that they're they're behind with, and I actually think my footwork was there. Um, when when I first got to Oakland's, when I was doing these individuals, they they reconstructed my whole jump shot. I, I I don't remember how I was shooting the ball, but it must have been dreadful because they they broke it down to every part of my body, from the ankles to the wrist to the you know the fluidity of the motion, and like I, I guess. <laughs> It's helped now in the future, but at the time, I'm like, you know, I'm so young. I'm just like, I'm trying to go up and down the court five on five. And they're like, no, easy now. Let's break it down. And, you know, so I'm grateful for what they did for sure. But I think it was more of like just learning how to shoot the ball properly at that at that moment. Everything happened so quickly from, you know, I'm at Oakland's and I'm learning literally the mechanics of how to shoot the ball. Um to then like almost the the national teams knocking on the door. It, I think that was a lot to do with my height um, and how I was doing in the college games, but it really did feel like it was overnight and I was thrown in the deep end. Yeah, I do remember kind of you just sort of almost coming out of nowhere a bit. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like, you yeah. know, especially especially with, with big kids, like you hear about them a lot, a lot earlier. Uh, you know, there's a kid up here or a kid here that's doing this and he's this tall or whatever. But it definitely felt like you kind of just kind of come onto the scene out of nowhere and before you knew it, you know, you were playing with the under-18s and everything else. Was there a moment for you that you felt like, um, I guess things started clicking and you started thinking, oh, actually, like I'm... I'm pretty good at this. Like, I'm all right. Like compared to my peers and everything else, like I, f- I feel like I've, I, you know, I've got a chance at, you know, maybe getting that scholarship to the states or, or maybe having a professional career. Like, was there a specific moment that stands out, or do you think it was just a, a gradual thing? I think I think it was interesting that I went to Oakland's because without knowing it, I think it was one of the better decisions I've ever made. Because um, you know, I did one year with Oakland's and it was still a very developing program, um, and then. The, the bigger teams barking, you know, they, they offered up their services. And I think a lot of people, if they had more information and knew more about basketball than I did at the time, would probably have taken that opportunity to go to barking or to a bigger place. But I think staying where I was at, I had more opportunity, not only in the games to, you know, try more, you know, experiment a little bit more, but also, you know, all the, the hands-on sessions that I got with Lee and Michael were just invaluable and I think that's what really um, propelled me forward Um, I I distinctly remember us going to Belgium on an early under 18s tournament and I was like I'm putting the jersey on and it has England on the front of it and I I couldn't believe it I'm like you know last last year I barely made it into the county side and you know one year of development and now I'm putting on a jersey for England standing next to, to Luke and I'm like this is this is nuts um, but yeah I've always just been a guy that kind of like just throws himself at it and you know it'll either work or it won't just trust in you know my head on my shoulders so 
um, it was really cool to just go out there and compete. And, you know, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of the turning point where I was like, oh, man, I'm again, I'm with the best of the best of England now. Like, and then I started to see myself find my find my way in the games. And, you know, you can, you, you know, every kid's pulling up his highlights and, you, you know, you find the second you're going through the seconds of the game trying to find where where you hit that jump short or you know you did a move you didn't know you could really do kind of thing and it was just really cool to to find that confidence in myself almost by like man i can actually maybe find it find myself doing this in the future you know i was going to ask at any point did you feel um I guess a bit, a little bit out of your depth, you know, when you, like, like you, you referred to there, like the the ninety fives, the, the sort of the golden generation, uh, so to speak. That was that was how they were referred to at that point. And when you talk about that, when you talk about the England under eighteen group, um, you know, there is there was you know Luke Nelson, Kingsley Okoro, uh, Jules played with them, who's obviously uh, he was ninety six, but he's kind of in in that sort of group. Um, I'm trying to think who else no. in the ninety fives? Yeah, Mo, obviously Mo Shalawade, um Yeah. Yeah, Dwayne Arija, Terrell, Terrell Isaacs, who was a beast uh, as a junior. Yeah, um, he was a monster. <laughs> so there was, yeah, there was, there was so much talent in that group. And For like, sure. you, like you said, like you were putting on Jungman jersey, like a, Cavell, yeah, of course, Cavell, Bibi Williams, um, and like you just said, yeah, like a, you know, a year before you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, just barely making a county side or whatever, and, and now here I am putting on an England jersey, and you're playing with all these great players. Was there any point where you're like, this? This is above me. Like the the level of these players, I, I don't feel like I'm I'm good enough. Or, or was it very much like you got there and, and it gave you the confidence because you felt like oh I'm I'm hanging with these players who I know are all great. Um, I I think that's a quick development that happens within the tournament, within the you know the practice sessions leading up to it. You know, um, Oakland's not being too far from Ipswich. You know, uh. Ben Mead had been on the scene for a long time. Ben Mead, yeah. Um, Tamas was extremely skilled. Tamas and it's Chris, just like, yeah. There's, yeah, there's a ton of guys there that they all were good at so- something. And it's like looking at the skilled guys, I'm like, I don't know if I'm as skilled as them. And then the size of Kingsley, I'm like, I'm not as big as him. And Cavell can jump and Luke's skilled all over the place and quick. And all these guys are athletic. And yeah, you, you definitely question yourself when it's it's such an immediate change from you know the local sides effectively and um it, it was really cool to kind of just uh throw myself it was definitely the deep end but i feel like i've always done that i feel like you know going to the underage groups i, I was thrown in the deep end and kind of just went and figured it out and then again going to college was into the deep end and you speak about the coordination stuff. I think, yeah, uh, the speed of the game every time I took that step, uh, it does take time to adjust. And, you know, I think my hands were a second second slow when I, when I took that step to the to put on the national team jersey and then maybe going to college again. My hands were slow again and you, you got to, you know, you, you, you got to start uh, clicking a little faster when it comes to the game because the speed does does get a lot faster quickly. The other thing that, uh, of course, is relevant to that that England under eighteen group is that the head coach was the legend of the game. That is Steve Bucknell. Um, you know, he, he, obviously someone who has played at the level that he has played at and done the things that he's done in his career. Um, he can be a very dem- well. He is a very demanding coach. You know, he demands the best. Uh, 
you know how, how was that as an experience for you like i would be interested to actually hear like at that age whether you were aware of his resume whether you were aware of kind of what he'd done and whether you looked up to him kind of like that or uh, or not and then and then secondly like i guess the environment that he created um with that group and, and how it was sort of being coached by him i think i think we all knew that he was a big deal but i don't think anybody until you know you get into your 20s honestly you really truly appreciate um the magnitude of what that man achieved um I, he was very demanding he was very intimidating uh the practices were harder than anything we'd experienced going two a days on our on our five days in a row you know that kind of stuff really pushed us but he also knew what he was doing he was not just preparing us for the national team but he was preparing us for bigger things and uh it, it was really cool because you could tell that he cared about the guys but it was always between the lines we're locked in like we're really pushing ourselves to get better and i think that's what helped us as a team affect the most was just like you said his, his demanding nature um but there was moments where you would see that he really cared about the guys and you know that just that in itself um makes everything worth it you know so was it that first summer i might get my years mixed up but was it that summer was it the 2013 when you played in division a like you the, the group before you yeah so you played in division a and you finished ninth which was at that point was the highest ever finish for a for a team for a boys team in in division a i, I think you beat spain yeah. so that was the big scout That's there right. um yeah i guess like what are your standout memories of that campaign and I, I think secondly like are there any sort of uh standout stories whether it's from certain players or whether it's from bucknell like anything that kind of sticks out uh, when you think back to to that summer that summer in Latvia, um, I remember Kingsley always paying, playing Candy Crush on the bus on the way to the games. Um, remember playing Porzingis when we played Latvia. Uh, that, was, that was a hell of a matchup. Um, he was already seven three, and I thought I was the tall guy in the tournament until we go we go to tip ball, and I'm looking up at him like, oh my goodness, like. Um, it was really cool seeing him too because we've seen him obviously on the main stage in the NBA developing and becoming the amazing player he was. And Lavia was giving him the freedom to shoot those threes. And, you know, at the time you could see that he was mainly catching the alley-oops and he was slashing to the rim. And to see his outside game develop so much since I played him when we were 18 to when he was like really getting shown out after playing in Spain for a year. Um, it was really cool to see how much he developed in such a short time. Because you know you, you you always compare yourself to the to your peers and you, the guys around you, and when we played Latvia, I'm like I'm hearing the hype of him, and he he won the the, the he was one of the, the five starters that got all the trophies at the end of the the tournament, and I'm like oh I can I'm, I'm right there I'm right there you know, and then to see him go on and do what he's doing it is phenomenal you know. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it's always uh, one of the thing. I think what everyone loves about the junior tournaments is seeing, well, essentially seeing the future stars. You know, seeing the stars of tomorrow, seeing them as they are, uh, sort of before they've fully developed, matured, um, and everything else. Like, at what point uh, did sort of your recruitment from US colleges start? Like, was it after that campaign with the under 18s, um, or, or was it after? Like, kind of, yeah. Like, do you remember the first college that contacted you, and kind of how? I guess the was the whole recruitment process. Because I don't think you were that heavily recruited. I wasn't at all. Um, I actually got a recruiting agency to try and try and help me uh, 
uh, start up, uh, you know, some interest. And uh, they did provide me with a few. Uh, I had Pepperdine uh, come through from there. And um, honestly, I can't remember too many of the names, but I had some Canadian schools. And, you know, there was a, there, there was a, there was a good... Um, grouping of, uh, of universities um but i guess pepperdine would have been at the top of the list but um it was just by chance i uh lee set up a an individual workout um with a guy that previously played for my coach at wku and it was just it was just out of nowhere I, I worked out with the guy's dad and it was just one session for an hour and he was teaching me the the ins and outs of being a big man and he was teaching me things that I, you know, I thought I knew how to do a drop step, but when he broke it down into like where your foot should point towards the rim and like, you know, just things that I hadn't really thought about. I just thought I knew how to do a drop step, but when he really broke it down and finished in, in there's, a, there's an invisible triangle between the rim and the backboard that you've got to aim for so that people can't block your shot and all these little things. And I just thought I was getting a good, like different kind of uh, individual workout and, a couple of days later, he said, yeah, I thought Ben was ready for Division One. I, I, I told the, the coach you should give it a shot. And I ended up, I think, the next week I was on the plane over. Um, we flew there. I had one day at WKU, you know, jumped in the deep end again in a five-on-five scrimmage with them. Did all right. Not great. Did all right. And came back home on the plane with an offer. And it was it was kind of just out, out of the blue. I was almost ready to... Um, get ready for university in England and it, it kind of just you know wow did you did you from from that moment like you know doing doing the visit um and then getting that offer like did you not instantly you were gonna you were gonna accept and you're gonna sign with WKU um I, I I wanted to explore all of my options but the time got limited I think that was the second tour that we were about to take with the if it was the under 20s at the time I can't remember. It must have been the under-18 second tournament or something. I can't remember the timing exactly, but um, no, it must have been the same tournament. It would have been the... I'm trying to think here. Your freshman year was 2013-14. So yeah, that's right. So it would have been... It must the, have been the Latvian tournament. Yeah, it would have been under-18s, yeah, in 2013. Yeah, right around that time, you know, we were super busy with different things. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't have many weekends free around the summer that time and... The one weekend I got, I went to WKU and I wanted to go to Pepperdine and, you know, obviously it's in Malibu. It would have been a lovely trip, but I, I, I don't know what was happening at the time, but I did not have the, the schedule to do it. So, so you I just made that, the decision to jump in at the deep end. Yeah. And I just, I said that, that it's a great program. The facilities are great. The coach, you know, sounds the dream, you know, they're, they're, they're going to do that. But it sounded, it sounded like a good opportunity for me and I thought I was ready for it. The other thing is, we, we, you were a true freshman, right? You hadn't done a third. Had you done a third year at Oakland? So you hadn't done a prep year or no. anything like that. It was you jumped straight from from Oakland as an eighteen year old to Division One basketball in the states, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm a, I'm a June kid, so I'd literally just turned eighteen as as I went overseas. Yeah, as I went there, so wow. I was I was super baby faced, landing in the deep end with uh, 23, 24 year olds still still grinding out college. You know, it was, it was quite quite the change. 
I was going to say, like, what are your early memories of sort of stepping on campus uh, for that for that first time, and the sort of that that transition from, you know, what you'd been exposed to in the UK, Oakland's, and playing in the EABL to to then you know uh, jumping and going to WKU. The, the the size, the speed, the the physicality, just all on a completely different level, and that comes with the age of the guys. And but I remember my. My freshman year, my my start, well, my starting big for my freshman and my sophomore year. His name's George Fan, and um, he ended up being the offensive tackle for the Seahawks in, in the Super Bowl, and he's still he's with the New York Jets now. And I remember I have many memories of me banging down there in the post with him. And he's only six six, but he's a mountain of a man at six six. And you know he he knew how to use his body, so he was getting into my chest and trying to finish. And I'm taller and longer than most of his competition so I'm still you know blocking it every now and then and we were really competing after it um but he was a he was a great captain to me one of my fondest memories was it might have been my second day on campus and he took me to Zaxby's which is the chicken spot and they had all the various levels of heat and I said George you got it just order me whatever whatever you know and to this day he, he genuinely says he didn't know that he ordered the hottest thing for me but i'm pretty sure it was like a, a freshman guy hazing because I, I i'm sitting there trying to eat the wings he's finished his plate you know he's got an appetite so he's finished his old plate and i'm struggling to eat like my, my second or third chicken strip and he's like what is going on you're sweating over there like and then for him to like figure like i'm like i'm really struggling and like he had a bite and he's like oh my god what have i done to you <laughs> he's like you're not gonna want to stay are you <laughs> amazing what do you think the, the the biggest the biggest transition from the uk to the us is just the physicality and the athleticism like is there anything else that kind of sticks out in your mind or do you really think it is just the physicality because that seems to be like in the conversations i have with various players that seems to be the thing that comes up the most i would say uh the scheduling of college as well i'm sure a lot of people have spoken about that as well but you know the grind of like waking up at seven every morning, you've got study hall, you've got food, you've got classes, you might have an individual between classes, then you've got three hour practice, then you've got to go back to study hall, then you've got dinner, which is all mandatory, weights is somewhere in there, you know, and then you finish up all your 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 homework, your coursework, and then that's 10 o'clock, you watch a couple episodes and you pass out knowing that you've got to do it all again. Uh, that That's quite a, a, a whole like culture shock system shock to you know great like that is seriously quite like different from you know the systems we've got in england did you get homesick my first my first year i did we got four days off around christmas and i actually flew all the way back just to to spend one or two days at home um the the, the later years i didn't need that as much i, I had more of a, a family out there um I made good friends with one of the managers who's still one of my best mates and you know his family would always take me in on the holidays but definitely that that first year it was, it was rough I didn't didn't know if I was going to make it for a while yeah I was going to say one of the things that um you know stands out it's not that it should be that remarkable but it's the fact that you did all four years at Western Kentucky and you know when when we're talking about British players in the US college system you know, one of the things we see repeatedly is, is guys transferring, guys leaving, going to different schools um, and everything else. Like, what do you think it was that, uh, I guess, 
allowed that to happen for you like was it a case of you know i don't know what your mindset is but you know when you commit something you see it through and even though you know even even in your senior year it's not like you're playing 35 minutes game or whatever and you're kind of like starting every single game you know minutes even though you obviously a key part of the team it's not like you were the superstar type thing um but you stuck it out yeah. and you saw it through and you've kind of followed your path and obviously now you're, you're, you're playing professionally but yeah, I'd be interested to kind of hear your thoughts around sort of staying at the same program for four years, whether or not you did have moments where you're thinking about leaving or transferring, um, and what what it was that allowed you to do that, where you know a lot of other British players have been unable to stick it out. I definitely, I'm I'm a loyal guy, so you know I'm, I feel I resonate with the Tim Duncan's of, of, of the NBA, and you know staying staying with an organization. Um, you know, I fell in love with the people of the 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 town and. You know, my teammates were great, but um, and the the schooling was great as well. It was like it was a really nice situation to be in. Um, obviously, there were definitely times where I was considering it, where I wanted to wanted to, you know, maybe try my luck somewhere else, and um, like you said, maybe find that that place that would give me the thirty minutes, and I maybe I can get the stats to really push it for the next level, um, but. I don't know. One way or another, it, you know, uh, I always found myself want, just wanting to stay and stick it out and, uh, you know, maybe something new will happen. I did my first three years and my, my, my minutes were going up and I started towards the end of the year. Um, and unfortunately, we had some issues and the coach had to leave after that third year and we had a new coach coming in. And that's when I seriously considered it um, because I thought maybe I don't want to be part of the rebuilding year, you know, maybe it's better to, to move, take a year off, you know, I might even be able to start a master's or something. Um, but on the other hand, I just thought I was ready to be a pro. Um, I, I thought that I was capable of it. I know my, my stats definitely didn't say that. Um, but I had that self-belief that I was like, you know what, I can stick this out and this, this senior year, I'm really going to go for it and try and, you know, make something of it. But irregardless, I feel like I'm going to find my way as a pro. And, you know, I, I believe I've done that so far. I was going to ask whether whether or not sort of the, the, the statistical side of things, the numbers side of things is kind of in the back of your head, you know, like in other conversations I've had with pros, you know, they've, they've, they've been very open and honest about the fact that as a professional, you are aware of your numbers because that is what's essentially going to be able to allow you to get a job next year. You know, like if you're, if you're not getting the numbers, 100%. it makes it difficult. Now, obviously you at college, like you said, your numbers were solid, but it's not like they're jumping out at you and saying, this guy's a star, this guy's a future pro, whatever else, like, I think you know your field goal percentage was always ridiculous, and I think you know shot blocking. You ended up you ended up as WKU's fourth all time shot blocker by the time by the time you left. So on the, on on that side of things, like obviously great, but like when you're at college, are you thinking in your head, you know, when I graduate here, I want to be a pro, and if I want to be a pro, I need to get numbers. Like I need to have a resume that says I'm a pro. Like is that something that's kind of thinking in your head or, or was it were you a bit more laid back about it and just thinking well you know what like i feel like i i know that i'm good enough if people were to look at my highlights they know my ability they know they know my height they know my athleticism uh, i'll be able to get a job like i'll just be interested to kind of hear your sort of thought process around it there's definitely a balance of of what you said it's got to be the numbers are the first thing that always stick out to a team the nba aren't going to even consider you if you're not a big get, getting a double double or you know something along those lines so I, I knew f from, from the jump that if I didn't have decent numbers, there had to be other attributes or 
saving factors for me. And like you, like you stated, the shot blocking was definitely something that I held dear to me uh, in college more so than even as a pro. Um, I, I, I was really pursuing that shot blocking, uh, you know, attribute, if you want to call it, just because I wanted people to know that, you know, when you watch my highlights, you're going you're gonna to see both ends of the floor. You're going to see me running in transition. You're also going to see the, the block shots. You're going to see the dunks. You see a sprinkle of free uh, of uh, jump shots, you know, from uh, from college times. Not too many, but <laughs> and you see a couple post moves. But um, it was definitely in the back of your mind. It always is. I think more so as a pro, you you become aware of your numbers. I think in college, again, it's still you don't know the whole scene and like what what it's all about being a pro. So you you don't have that prior knowledge necessarily to know that your numbers have to be where they're at. Um, so I, I think I didn't fully understand what I needed. Um, and maybe, it, you know, if, if I could go back in time, maybe I would try and do something different. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I found myself thinking, how else can I be, you know, saleable, marketable and, um, thinking about my shot blocking, my size, my movement, you know, all those kind of things I, I thought I could I could provide on a highlight tape. When you look back at your four years at college, um, just to kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, round up uh, the college section, um, cool. what, what were the what were the sort of the highlights, the stand-up memories for you that, that, that you really look back fondly on? It's, it's always got to be those moments in the game where it could go either way and, you know, you make a big play or uh, your team overcomes the odds. You know, that's always my time, my favorite and fun times. Uh, I remember catching alley-oops to send it to overtime, uh, big chase down blocks, all those kind of things that, you know, you hold dear to you. Um, playing Louisville at our home gym and having people like it was sold out and people were sitting in the walkways just trying to watch the game and Montrez is going down the lane the first two minutes of the game dunking on our, 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 big, our big men and we're like oh my god like this is gonna be a long one um you know all those kind of memories in terms of basketball really like you know you, you just can't forget them um the rest of the, my rest of my college experience um like I've already said you know it's 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 the people, it, it's the relationships you make. Um, you know, if you've got to go to study hall for hours and hours, it's, it's the, the people that are there with you, the tutors, the, the, the people that, you know, no one really hears about, but you, you always make those really fond relationships and personable moments for you. Yeah. Are you able to go back? Have you been back a lot since you graduated and turned pro? Um, I went back because of my injury. I actually got my surgery there and uh, I got to watch a couple games and, you know, it was quite nice to, you know, walk the hallways again and reminisce and I saw a few of my old professors and, you know, uh, it, was, yeah, it was really nice to go back and kind of just walk down memory lane. Um, but no, other than, other than the one time I haven't been back, I got, I got lucky where I could see two of my old teammates, you know, they came into town to see me and that was just really nice, you know, going out to dinner, seeing what they're doing now after basketball. George being in the NFL and the other guy, you know, settling down with a lovely wife and uh, doing well for himself in his career, you know. Awesome. So when it came to turning pro, like, I guess, 
how did that end up uh, happening? What was the uh, the process like? Was it a case of you, you know, I assume you start getting messages from agents and stuff, and you sign with an agent, like kind of, yeah, like break it down for us, like uh, kind of the the transition from from college to the pros. Yeah, I wish I could say I could have. Uh, I had more offers from agents than I did, but you know, I had a handful. You probably count them on one hand, but. Um, you know, one kept turning up and he did a few individual workouts with me and, um, you know, what I was hearing from him sounded more, more truthful than, you know, some of the other car salesmen out there. And, um, did you find you had people yeah. trying to peddle you BS? Yeah, a little bit, you know, it, it's part of the industry, so you need to be aware of it. And, um, they'll all try and if they know that one's coming and they know each other, then they're going to try and belittle the other one, all that kind of action. But, um, I found the one that I thought was right for me and, uh, I was, I was lucky that I got to go with him to, uh, he, he was actually based in West Virginia and I, I went there for the whole summer and we worked out with the group of guys, about 10 guys. And, you know, we went, we went really hard for the whole summer and, you know, that really elevated my game going into a pro situation. It, it built my confidence to a point where. I felt like I could go against anyone and still, you know, produce. Did you second guess turning pro at any point? Like in in that in those whether it's those months months doing the training, did you think, oh, do you know what? Like I could probably I, I don't know what your degree was in, but whether you you know I could get a job in a, as a as a whatever it might be with your with your degree and mm-hmm. and earn a solid salary and 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 it would be good, or like you know uh, you know really pursue this this pro basketball thing, which which of course a lot of people don't understand, and I'm sure you probably have plenty of friends sort of uh, not getting really what you're trying to do. Um, and, and that must be challenging in itself. Like, yeah, I'd be interested to kind of hear what you think about that. Oh, 100%. Obviously, we spoke about it. My, my stats weren't, you know, mind-blowing. So it was definitely in the back of my mind that I might not actually be able to be a professional basketball player. I really felt like I was on that borderline of like, will I even make it? So in my head, I said I was going to, I would kick myself if I didn't try and be a pro. So I really decided I'm going to take this one year. I'm going to give it my all. And we're going to see where the chips lie after in the next summer. And if my career hasn't elevated from, you know, a lower level, you know, maybe I can just go and be an accountant with my economics degree. And um, maybe that would be a better route for me. But it was it was really nice to, you know, uh, take that job. The one job that did come really late in August, right before season started, you know, it was really nice to take that job and give it my all. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's funny you said. It's, I think it's Jeff Bezos has got like a, a reg- it's called like a regret minimization framework, but it's that whole thing where it's like when when you know time and time again when they when they interview people that are on their deathbeds or whatever and, and ask them about their lives, the, it's always the things that they didn't do or didn't try, not the things that they did do that they regret. Um, and very much like the things you're saying there, where it's like, well, I'm going to give it a go, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I, I feel like that's the way. I think that's the best way to be, you know, because there's no more questions in your mind. It's like, well, if I, if I do it and I fail, well, at least I've done it and I know, and then I can be an accountant or whatever, rather than always wondering, oh, I wonder if I could be a, a professional basketball player. Um, so you ended up signing in Cyprus. Was that the only pro contract offer that you had? I, I had a couple, but, you know, the, the, there are some contracts out there that you don't even really want to take it for the money that they're offering. And Cyprus ended up being reasonably good for the money um as a starting contract um for a person with my stats and you know i i 
I was advised by the agent that this is probably the best move you're going to get. So if this is the opportunity you want to take, then go for it. And it's a beautiful so, place to live, right? Location-wise. Oh, it was lovely. I was on the Turkish side, so they're, they're not quite as developed as, as the, the Greek side. Um, but wonderful people, uh, beautiful beaches, you know. We had one game a week, so we'd have a couple of days off in the week, you know, almost a semi-pro situation. So it was quite nice. You know, you can go and chill on the beach on, on your off day and beautiful women, all the rest of it. <laughs> did, did you, I mean, it's funny, like, you, obviously you, you putting it like that, like, uh, you know, did you, did you think I've kind of, I've done it? Do you know what I mean? Like, this is like, obviously, maybe I'm not earning the millions that I would be in the NBA that, I, you know, that's what I originally wanted to do or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and maybe I'm, I'm not in a major city or, or whatever else, but actually I'm in a beautiful country. I'm getting paid, maybe not a lot of money, but I'm getting paid to play the game that I love. Uh, I've got a couple of days off of the week where I can go on the beach and, you know, be around these amazing people. There's great food here. Like, you know, was there part, there part of you that felt like I've kind of, I have done it. Like I've achieved what I've, I'm trying to do. Or was it always like there's more, there's more that I want to achieve. I'm not there yet. I've got a lot more work that I need to put in. Like, yeah, kind of what, what was your, your sort of mentality around it all? I definitely think the overriding feeling was that this is just the start and it's going to be a stepping stone and I have to do everything I can to get to the next level. But there's always those moments of just relief and bliss that is like, Oh, I have actually done it. I'm a pro like, and like the, just the, those, those little moments where you find yourself driving and you buy it, you know, you buy yourself and you just think, you know what? I've actually, I've taken that step that I didn't know I could take is it, it, quite nice. But, what I don't know what's more satisfying that or you know going out and performing on on the Saturday and you know getting the stats that you know you need for that that next job you know when you talk about highlights of of that year I feel like vaguely in my memory I have you hitting a shot at some point I feel like we 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 featured on Instagram that you hit some type of game winning shot in the playoffs or or something like that that was like uh, to, to I don't know whether it's to win the series or to I don't know what it was like can you remind me yeah. and kind of recap your the story? Me- your memory is incredible <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say um other than the friendships I made there um yeah that game winning shot it was the semi-finals uh, we were the, the outside village that lived on the coast and we happened to have the university, the European university. Um, so we had a bit of money there and, um, our little village was up against the capital city of the island. And so you were the we were underdogs. The semifinals. Yeah, we were the underdogs for sure. Um, game, it was, a uh, five games in a series, you know, we won the first two, we lost the next two. We were at home for the last game. Um, we went to overtime. And then in that last five minutes, it was a tied game. And my uh, my Serbian point guard brings it down the floor. We played pick and roll. But instead, I popped for once and, you know, pop out to the three and hit the game winner. Um, yeah, that, that, that that's a moment that definitely will resonate with me and stick with me, like you said, to the deathbed. So I was going to say, when you talk about... Um sort of childhood dream moments like does it get any mm-hmm. bigger than that like hitting a gate was, what was that in the finals or was that in the playoffs like was that the actual final it was a semi-final semi semi-finals of the playoffs yeah so it sent us to the finals wow. and then so, what happened in the finals we won't talk about that ah, okay. 
<laughs> Fair enough. But you had you had your moment anyway. But um, but yeah, what a moment! I'll have yeah. to I'll try and d- dig up that clip. Uh, because yeah, I do, I do remember it, and it was it was a pretty decent crowd there as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're talking about a, a little. Uh, it looked island, decent. It looked so. decent because it was in a it was small gym. The, the number packed. of seats that are there, it was absolutely chopper block. It was packed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and. He was at the end of his career, but the guy I was up against the whole series, his name's Kambala, and he played for Real Madrid. He's a, he's a Latvian big, and he's got all the credentials. He played for Ephes, and um, so it was really cool going up against him. And he, you know, he's he's a big bruiser, so trying to deal with him the whole series, and then to like hit that game winner was kind of the the relief I needed to like move past that series. You know? Yeah, amazing. Right. Yeah. Hopefully you do grab that clip because uh, yeah, no, I'll try know, and find I'm it. I'm proud it, of it. <laughs> it has to, it has to be on a yeah, well, it has to be on Instagram somewhere. Like uh, one of the things I've really enjoyed recently is um, obviously Instagram's added the archive, the archive feature, so you can go in and you can you can see what you've posted on that day, however many years ago. And because I mean, what the Instagram we've been running the Instagram account for I don't even know eight nine years now, and, and pretty yeah. much posting pretty consistently when you're talking about sort of daily or almost daily i can go in any day and i can see the stuff that we posted three four five six years ago and then sort of reposting it and having the memories is awesome so yeah i'll have to i have to try and dig it up so you did that's that this was um so your rookie year was 2017 18 so this is only like two two years ago three years ago um i guess after that year you did what you needed to do you got your numbers or whatever like did you have uh a lot of pro teams come knocking after that like did you have a lot more interest than you had after after your college career i don't know whether your smile was just told me the answer to that question but um kind of I guess, <laughs> what, what what happened after that year and and you know ultimately we we know that you ended up in in japan but, uh yeah, like yeah. How, how did that happen and kind of what were the what was the sort of the lay of the land in terms of the, the offers that you were sitting on we, we we were dreaming while we were in cyprus and we're saying oh if we do these kind of numbers you know the turkish teams are going to come knocking and uh sorry to break the news but no 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 teams came knocking um if uh, if it, there, there was a part of me that felt like it was almost a wasted year because i got all these numbers that i thought i needed you know i had 20 and 10 and i felt like i was on top of the world and then i came out of it and it didn't really interest anybody and it it it, it kicked me a little bit but after that i kind of rebounded and you know i got back to west virginia and we were on the same program again and I think my motivation just built up even more to be like, I need to prove on a bigger stage now somehow. I need to find a way to the bigger stage. I need to prove myself um, and and find my way. I, I knew I was worth more than I was getting paid there. I, I'd proved it to myself enough. I had the self-belief to take that next step. Um, but it was only when we went to LA and we just happened to go to a, a workout. It was like a tryout. They had a couple of Japanese teams, a, a couple South Korea teams. Um, we, we, we actually went for a different guy to try out. And, you know, as we're a group of guys that work out the whole summer, all five of us, you know, jumped in there and went for it. And uh, the first day it was all right. You know, I had a hook shot here and there, a couple of jumpers, uh, blocked a shot or something. And then the next day, they decided that we could pick our own team. So we picked all five of our guys that had been working out together. We were all on the same team. We got uh, a guy called uh, Devon Kumpasel, who, who uh, ended up on the Denver, Denver Nuggets. Um, and now he's killing it in Turkey. Um, but we, we had a whole squad, and we were all ready to you know, go and kick ass. And it could have been anybody. It could have been any one of the five of us that would go off. You know, We played two 10-minute uh, 
quarters. And, uh, you know, the first 10 minutes, I, I just, I had an unbelievable game. I hit back-to-back threes. I had maybe four or five dunks. Like, we, everything just came into my hand. It could have, like I said, it could have been any of us that had just had that game, but it ended up being me. And my agent came over to me and he said, take your shoes off. You're not playing the second 10 minutes. And I went, why? I'm on fire. I want to go again. And I turned around and two Japanese teams were walking over to me. And I won't, I won't say how much, but it was three or four times while I was making in Cyprus off the bat. And, you know, my jaw drops and my, my eyes sparkle, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to, 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 to ask about there, but, but just quickly, um, you know, when when you try and just uh, try not justify try when you try and explain like why like why you think that even though you got the you did what you needed to do in Cyprus you know you've gone there on a mission I've got to get the numbers mm-hmm. show that I'm show that I'm better than this level or whatever you, you average a twenty and ten or whatever you hit your game winner in the in the semi finals um but the offers don't come in like yeah. Did you get feedback like from anybody about why that is? Do you think it was it just the perception of the level of the Cyprus League was so low that it doesn't count for anything, or was it something else about your game? Uh, whether they, I don't know, whether people felt like you hadn't developed over those twelve months, or I don't know what it is. But like, yeah, do you have any 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 uh, sort of knowledge of of why the offers didn't come when when you sort of had thought that they were going to? I, I think it it leans a bit to the credibility of the league. Um... You know, it's an up and down league. Um, some years they're, they're they're well funded, some years they're not, and you know that that qu- makes it questionable to to FIBA and to all the other leagues on whether it's it's uh, of its legitimacy. Um, but like I said, there were some decent players in there. Whether they were at the end of their careers or not, they're still the same IQs as when they were playing for FS and playing for the top teams. So there were there were quality guys playing there. Um, but I, I, I guess it was to do with that. I, I didn't get any feedback in terms of my, my game and why they didn't want me or anything. I just genuinely didn't have offers that came in, period. Maybe it was down to my agency, I don't know. But yeah, um, yeah it was just, it, sad to say nothing came of it. So I, it, I had, I had my, my week or two where I was all a bit in, down in the dumps, but then I pulled myself back and said, you know what, I've proved to myself and that's enough for me, you know, that's enough for me to know that I am a pro and I can stick this out because, you know, a, a year before I told myself I'm going to give it one year and if I don't have an increase in salary, I'm going to pack it up and go and be a banker. So I was at that point in those two weeks where I'm like, I've just done all of this work and felt like I've achieved everything and nothing's coming in. What's happening? Um, and then I just kind of snapped myself out of it and said, you know what, I didn't need to prove it to them. I've proved it to myself that I'm a professional. And, you know, when the next opportunity came, I think maybe someone was watching over me and the basketball gods, you know, said this is your time to go to go uh, relish in the moment, maybe. So, so you had this this workout, and off the back of uh, back of this workout, you had two offers in two different offers in Japan, right? Was yeah, which obviously, as as you said, were you know considerably more money than what you'd been earning in cyprus and and i i get i guess i mean do you think it's fair to say you know i don't wanna i don't wanna um 
be disrespectful in any type of way, but do you think it's fair to play in, in Cyprus? It, it wasn't necessarily a full professional situation. When you're talking about the money that you're earning, you know, I would I would assume that you'd be able to earn more money as a graduate, as an as a as a an accountant or whatever, if you if you'd done that, as opposed to being a basketball player. But it was a bit of money that kind of allowed you to pay your bills or whatever. Maybe you had some free accommodation as well. As well. Um, but ultimately, you're not saving anything. You're kind of living paycheck to paycheck or whatever. Whereas then then this situation or these two offers that then came in, it's like, okay, now you're, you're, you're a pro. Do you know what I mean? This is now an actual professional yeah. basketball contract offer. This is now you're earning good money that's on par with what, or more than what people would earn in their sort of regular careers, at, you know, out, out of university. Um, you know, you're going to a new country. Did you know instantly, I'm going to take these offers, this is what I want to do? Or were you, uh, did you think, well, now that I've got these two offers, it proves to me that I can potentially earn a lot more money in this game and I'm going to see whether or not I can, you know, sell my services elsewhere and see whether I can get offers in other places. Um, I think it was more relief that something had come in the summer. You know, like I said, it was pretty it was pretty cold for a while and, you know, there was no buzz. So having those two offers, it kind of, I guess, yeah, like you said, it really did. It was like, okay, now I'm a pro, like, I wanted to take the deals. I was a little cheeky and like, how much more can we ask? Can they bid against each other? Like, what's the, what, what are we doing? But my agent was like, you know what? This is such a big step for you. Like, let's just be grateful that we've got this far. And I, I questioned him at the start, but I appreciate him because with the Japanese culture, they respect that kind of move. And he knew that ahead of time. And, uh, I was really happy with my decision on where I went and, uh, had a great time with, uh, Fukuoka rising zephyrs and uh uh glad to say that i've made a decent career out here in japan so far and you know i was gonna say to wherever i'm at in the future i might i feel like you you might know better than me i'm pretty sure fukoka was one of the teams that jaflo larkai played for for a few years when he was in japan do you know very well could be i know matthew bryan amazing played for them not uh, too long ago and okay. Jellybean Bryan was the coach, but maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Matthew. I definitely, yeah. There's definitely been other British players that have played for them because I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, but yeah, Matthew so, definitely did, but I, I couldn't tell you about Jafar. Uh, the chat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay, so you, you you go to Japan. You play for Fukuoka. Fukuoka is that you pronounce it? Yeah. 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 Fukuoka. Um, when when I when I flew in, funny story. When I flew in, you know, you have your tags, and there's only three letters on for the airport stamps, you know? So I went from Nashville, BNA to Fukuoka, F-U-K. <laughs> so I'm like, where, where am I going? Like, <laughs> Amazing. For them to tag it like that, yeah. <laughs> Did you, like, you know, we hear a lot about um, the culture shock of playing in different co- different countries and m- more often than not, that's that's in Europe, right? Which, of course, there's going to be different cultures and, and uh, yeah, different ways of living in, in Europe, but... The transition, I think, from the west to the east is probably as extreme as it comes when you're talking about cultural differences um, and different ways of living. You know, like like you mentioned there, we've had, we've had a couple of Brits that have played in Japan. Um, you obviously now being the the most recent one, but when you when you sort of talk about that cultural transition, I guess how, how was it? What are the things that stick out? Like for the average person, was there anything when you when you landed and you did your first couple of weeks or whatever? That you're like, oh, you know, I can't believe that this is how they do this, or this is this is how this works over here. Like, what were the biggest shocks that uh, sort of stick out in your mind? First and foremost, just trying to get around. Um, you know, I, I'm reasonably, I was reasonably well traveled 
in terms of Europe. So you see the Spanish language or the French language, and at least you're seeing the same alphabet for the majority. And you can, you know, from the classes you've taken in secondary school, you can just about make it, make out where you're going. Um, but in Japan, you've got a whole different uh, symbol, you know, alphabet. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a big shock because you, you walk down the street and you don't know what anything is. And that that initially makes you kind of just want to stay in your apartment and not venture out too far. Um, but I was in a big city, which was Fukuoka, which is beautiful and the people are great. And I think it took me a, a good two weeks before I really made that leap into the culture where, you know, I was like, okay, I can tell this is food, but I don't know what it is. They might not have an English menu, but you know what? I'm just going to go in there with Google Translate, ask for whatever they make best and see see what happens, you know? Um, another big thing is convenience stores like 7-Eleven. Um, they're huge over here. They're on every corner, every block corner. Um, and they, they have everything in there that you can imagine you would need. Um, so if you ever need groceries, but you're not really a cook, that's where you go. You know, you can grab your two liter bottle of water, your... your your bento box, which is like a little Japanese rice dish with, you know, your meat on top, whatever. Um, so it is, it, it, it's very hesitating when you first get here, but then once you like dive into it, you'll find like arguably the best food in the world. Cause whatever they do, it's fantastic. I, I'm a fan of most things and I know some people aren't, but like sushi to me is a gift. And uh, they have like yakinigu, which is they bring in like beef. You, you know, you got wagyu beef. They'll bring in that in. You have a grill in the middle of the table, but you cook it yourself. But you can have all you can eat and all you can drink for two hours. So you take a couple of your mates and you, you have the best kind of stories and nights where you just, you know, having a few cold ones and cooking up, you know, all sorts of great food. So. Do you, do you feel like uh, you've kind of embraced the culture and, and, and found yourself a, a second home there, so to speak? It's tough to say second home because it is so foreign from, you know, an, an England or even more west of America. But um, I would definitely say that I found a place where I'm comfortable now. I think it's quite wholesome knowing that it was such a shock at the start and now i'm so comfortable here it's quite a nice feeling to know that i've accomplished that in myself um but definitely the places that i've been the people have definitely made it feel welcoming i know i've spoken to some guys in the past and they'll say well i went here and i didn't really have a good vibe the whole time i was there and i, I can't say that for japan i, I can definitely say that the people are very different, you know, they welcome you in different ways. Um, they'll politely keep their distance, but you, you can see by their smile that, you know, they mean well. And that's enough for the culture over here. Whereas, you know, we walk down the street and you say, you're all right, mate. And it's, it's different. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a place that I know I could come and be comfortable at, you know. Do you feel like longer term... Uh you know, like with with Jaflo uh, Larkai, he ended up sort of essentially carving himself out a nice little niche in in Japan and spending, I think, seven eight years, like the, the majority of his career there. Do you feel like you could end up on the same path and end up spending seven eight nine seasons there rather than sort of 
um, going to other different places or, or do you feel like in your head when you're talking about sort of a basketball career bucket list you want to play in other countries and experience uh, other cultures as well I mean there's always a bucket list of like you know I, I took my shot at the NBA with the summer league and stuff but there's always like the allure of the ACB and you know even the Turkish league is just they, they look phenomenal it's top level competition beautiful countries I mean what is there not to you know uh, a want from those kind of leagues um, and there's nothing to say I'm not going to pursue them in the future but I definitely think that it's tough to turn down what Japan offers you know they have they have a, a, a decent um, setup with the league uh, they have big companies like Toyota Mitsubishi you know Kawasaki like all these big companies back in the team so the budgets are there um, you're playing against two or three top level NBA or close to NBA players. And then the rest of the squad is Japanese. So it's kind of a cool dynamic that we've got out here. Um, so, you know, it's tough, it's tough to, to step away when you've got something good going. And I can see why he stayed for seven or eight years, because if you do carve that niche, this is the place where it, it can be quite fortuitous. Yeah. When you talk about the level on the floor, um, you know, obviously you, your numbers in Japan have been pretty decent. Uh, do you feel yeah. like your game is growing and developing? Do you feel like you're being challenged enough um, when you talk about sort of, yeah, on a game-to-game -game basis, the actual performance on the floor? Uh, I feel like I get challenged in different ways out here. Um, it, it's It's tough to say sometimes, but it can be from the coaching to the... Um, the different styles to the different levels of IQ that different players have. Um, a lot of players out here are, you know, 30 or above. Um, and with that, you get a lot of experienced players that are going to out IQ you for the whole game. Well, that's perfect for a younger guy that, you know, comes in at 20, 22, 23. And he, you know, He's enthusiastic, but, you know, when you're enthusiastic and a, and a vet comes at you, they can trick you into some fouls, you know. And when you've only got two Americans and one's in foul trouble, you might lose the game on that. So it's it's really important to to see the, the game of basketball beyond just, you know, throw yourself at it sometimes. It's really got to be played more like chess. And it's, it's interesting, that dynamic that you get from Japan more so. Um, the game you play with the refs and all this kind of stuff really gets emphasized out here. Um, playing with the Japanese guys, there isn't really any drop off. They might be, uh, they might not have as long wingspans, or they might not be six five. But the speed that these guys have makes it incredibly tough to, you know, deal with sometimes. And uh, once they get downhill, you know, referees love calling fouls on big guys. So <laughs> was, you know, you've got to be very careful. I was going to say, do you get to match up with a lot of other seven footers? Because I remember, you know, I've seen some of your highlight tapes, and you just look like a flipping giant on the floor. Like you know, you generally it always seems like you have been in a lot of obviously only the highlights that I've seen. You know, the tallest guy on the floor by far. Um, I wouldn't say by far. I mean, most of the Americans six eight and above. Okay. Uh, I would say I'm probably one of the tallest guys out here in Japan, but. Uh, I wouldn't say the biggest guys. We've we've got we've got guys that Josh Smith from UCLA. He's, you know, he's he's got to be 30, 30 stone. 
at 610 you know and still moving around blowing people over so yeah um there's different levels to it but um i'm probably one of the tallest out here yeah but Okay. When you match up against someone who's six, six, nine, and athletic, it, 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 there's not too much difference of it. In it. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing I, I obviously want to talk about, and you, you did mention it briefly there, of course, was uh, was the stint uh, with Memphis in the NBA Summer League, uh, which was yeah. summer of 2019. So that would have been the last. That must have been the last one that happened uh, pre. The last one that happened. Yeah, the last one that happened pre pre COVID. I guess how did that opportunity arise, and, and when you talk about that as an opportunity. Um, Kind of how was it? And uh, I guess, do you remember that moment when you realised, you know, you're going to play in the NBA Summer League? And I, I guess if, when you're talking about getting close to the league, that's as close as you can get almost without being in the league, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so how it came about, um, uh, I did a couple workouts. I went to Philadelphia. I went, I don't know, then I went to Memphis. And uh, I thought that I, I killed the Philadelphia workout. You know, we had the interviews after and they seemed really enthusiastic and nothing came back. And then I went to Memphis and uh, it was less of a, a, a tryout and it was more of a like you're just coming in to work out with the guys. And so I'm, I'm you know, I'm going up against Jaron Jackson Jr. You got Dylan Brooks on the other end working out with my other one of my one of my boys. And we were there for two days and they extended it to five days and we just, you know, we're basically their, their practice body, you know, they're getting better for the next year and we're just putting up a bit of a fight. And I guess they saw enough where they, you know, they ended up offering me, me the spot on the team, um, which felt pretty good because, you know, the whole way through it, it was, it was kind of unique with our situation because they had a first year coach coming in. So he ended up being the head coach for the summer league team, which doesn't really happen. Normally it's the, the G league head coach or an assistant takes the role. Um, but we had the head coach going into the next season. So all the practices we were doing, it was like uh, pre uh, pre camp practices for the, for the squad. Basically, you know, you had Jaron Jackson jr. Out there with, uh, with the summer league team, you know, getting runs in, you know, Jar was sitting on the sideline, Jar Moran, um, I wish he didn't have his knee knee scope because it would have been amazing to play with him. But we had a quality team, um, so it was it was a lot of fun to get those practices in beforehand because it, it made it a lot easier going out there and playing against the other summer league teams when you've gone up against some legit NBA players right beforehand. Playing against uh, you know guys that are in the league or guys that are knocking on the door of being in the league, you know when you compare that to your own game, like did mm-hmm. it give you confidence? How? how uh far off do you or did you or don't you feel um from you know being able to potentially have a shot at the league i think it's a fine line i think i think a lot of it can be uh your lead up to it to your position you know i think drafted players uh will get preference over an international guy coming in to play in the summer league and things like that um but when it comes down to ability i think you know i think jaron would say himself that we had hell of a good uh couple one-on-one games you know really pushing it pushing him to the wire i think he got me most most of the time but it would be five four or it'd be you know 11 10 and we're really going at it him being one of the unicorns of the league where he is seven foot and can do a bit more i think i actually uh surprised him that i could do just about the same skill set you know we had we 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 had our go-to moves and you know it challenged both of us really well so i i think I think the coaching staff enjoyed it. They were getting excited watching us out there competing, and uh, I think we had we had a lot of fun out there. Yeah, 
Do you, do you think NBA Summer League is something that you want to do again? Or are you going to try and do again? I would love to. Um, obviously, we've got to see if it, if, it, if it happens and if the opportunity still arises. Like, you know, I am 25 now, so I wouldn't look to do it if I'm 28. But, you know, 26, 27, I would still love to, to get that opportunity again and really, really go after it. Um, I, wasn't, I don't think I was too far away. Um, they offered me a G League spot. Um, and at the time, you know, uh, I was looking for a bit more, you know, honestly. Just being honest, um, in the semifinals I had nine and nine, and uh, against Cavell actually that was that was a really fun matchup in the semifinals of the tournament. Um, unfortunately, Zion wasn't in there, so well, I say fortunately for my side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun, and I thought like I, I was close to you know maybe even getting a spot. So I would definitely like to go there and give it all I've got and not have any regrets, you know? Oh uh, yeah. You, you mentioned it there. Like, uh, when you, you, you know, they offered you a, they offered you a spot on the G league team. Mm. You turned it, you turned it down. Um, ultimately did that just, was that just a financial decision? Obviously at, the, at this point, uh, you're playing in Japan, you know, as we all know, Japan have got decent budgets and, you know, can pay very well. Uh, like was it ultimately just a, a financial decision or, or were there other things that, that, that played a role in it? Like it's one of them, it's, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? And, and we see, uh, obviously we saw Cavell do it and, and, and I think, uh, Pops was the same back, back with, with his career where it's like, you know, if, if the goal is the NBA, sometimes you feel like you need to be as close to that as possible and to be as close to that yeah. as possible and to give yourself that shot, it is to play in the G League and that does mean taking a, a, a for, for, for most guys that are sort of at that level taking a pay cut right um, I guess sure. when you're weighing up those that decision what ultimately made you decide to turn it down and, and sort of uh, go back to Japan instead while we were playing some of the games in the summer league you know you don't just go back to the hotel room if someone's interested in talking to you you talk to them so there was quite a few Japanese teams that were were coming to me during my during my off days or in between the games um, and we were having dinner and discussing and uh, some of the conversations we were having it sounded you know better than a, a league minimum you know at that level so it was really enticing and um, so it, when when they came with the G League offer I thought well maybe you know me and my agent spoke about it and we thought I was at least worth a two-way or you know or an exhibit 10 with a bit of guaranteed money going into the G League or something. So getting just that offer, you know, was a little disappointing um, at the time. And it all happened so quick. They offered it the day I was leaving. Like, um, and at that time, I had some family problems. And, you know, I made the decision thinking it was, it was best for, you know, my situation at the time. Looking back on it, would I have taken that G League spot with Memphis? Potentially, yeah because something could have come of it, you know, yeah. with, you know, with everything that's happened in the world now um, was to say that, you know, knock on wood, a few COVID cases wouldn't have had me on a 10 day or, you know, who, who knows um, being seven foot, if you're on a G league team and you're, you're doing numbers, if, if there's one or two, you know, unfortunate injuries, you can always find yourself on that, that squad. Um, and I, I had firsthand experience with the coach. So, um, it was financial, um, and potentially I do regret it. So it, 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 if I had the opportunity again, maybe I would, you know, definitely consider more, uh, of a pursuit for it, you yeah. know? 
Are you with the same agent that you initially signed with out of WKU? Yes, I am, yeah. Wow, you stayed with him the whole time. Yeah, like I said, I'm a loyal guy. Um, he he, he, he saw, saw what he saw all the way back then when I wasn't producing much and now now I'm doing decent and that, you know we, we both had success with the summer league and I'm, I'm happy to stay with him yeah perfect right let's do some <clears throat> short quick fire questions just to just to finish up with um all right starting with I might know the answer to this question already because we might have already discussed it but maybe maybe not uh, your favorite basketball memory <sighs> just one memory yeah just it's one. got it's got be, it's got to be the buzzer beater um maybe not the the greatest you know league or platform but they they were all my brothers that I was playing there for, and uh, even some of them against. And it, it was a, it was a great moment to you know hit a game winner in a series. So, got to be that moment. Best coach you've ever played for? Oh man, best coach I've ever played for. <laughs> you said he was going to be quick fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ray Harper, maybe controversial. He he's he was my first college coach. He was the toughest coach on me, but from the first day I got there till the day he left, he said I had a golden ticket in my back pocket and I just had to cash it in. And he was brutal to me with my with the three and a half hour practices, making me go again and again when George was beating me up. But he, he instilled me some toughness and some resilience that I don't I definitely don't think I would have got in else, else places. Best teammate you've ever had? Nah, can't answer that one. Can't answer that one. I have so many good teammates. Okay, cool. Too, uh, too many to count. Yeah. Uh, the best British player that you've either played with or played against? If Byron Mullins counts, I would say him. Cavell, I think, is such a unique guy. He's definitely a danger when he's on the court. Um, and just seeing him develop over the last four or five years has been exciting to watch but probably at the top for me is luke um luke nelson. being able to play a ball screen with luke nelson is 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 unique in itself um so it's got to be luke the best individual performance that you've ever witnessed uh best individual performance i've ever witnessed could be on your team or against you <laughs> it was probably in a summer league i was actually in the stands um the Turkish guy for the 76ers. Uh, Korkmaz. Footmark. Yes, Footmark. Yeah. He he had 40. And I don't think the ball touched the rim. I think it was all... Uh, he, he was shooting from anywhere and everywhere. And it was probably... If so, if someone's going to watch Steph Curry play, it was probably just as beautiful as that. But it was unbelievable just watching that guy just play the game that way. Perfect. And then just to, to finish up with, what's in the future for Ben Lawson? Let's say the next three to five years, where do you want to be? What are you hoping that you're going to be doing? Hopefully I'm still playing the game I love. Um, where that is, I don't know. Uh, I'm, you know. I'm young, I'm ambitious, I'm pursuing all and every opportunity. Um, I hope to have a GB jersey on my chest sooner rather than later. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, get back to England a bit more than the last eight years and, you know, enjoy my family a bit more.
100%. That's a perfect place to leave it. As you can see, the sun has slowly moved around. It is now in the yes. perfect position where it's literally <laughs> blinding me as we talk, uh, just as we finish. So it's the perfect time to finish. Uh, ben, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. I know like we're now probably what is half past midnight where you are. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you staying up and, and doing this. Um, wish you all the best uh, for this season. And like you said, I, I hope that uh, we see you back home at some point soon, uh, ideally representing GB. Um, and, yeah, thank you. Thank you again. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Sam. Hey, podcast listener, but you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now, uh, open up your podcast player, go to the Hoops Fix podcast, you'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.